You're listening to episode 33 of the Journey to Launch podcast. Why estate planning is the single most important factor in building long-lasting wealth. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. Well, welcome back if you're a returning listener. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. Hey, how you doing? Thanks so much for joining me. I am super, super excited to have you here. I have an amazing guest, Art Steele, who I will get into who she is and why you need to listen to this episode in a minute. But first, let's just talk about just some housekeeping items. If you are enjoying this podcast, if you've listened before and you already are hooked, you're already a fan please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen. It's a wonderful way to help support me to get the message, get the podcast out there. Again, even if you do not listen in Apple Podcasts, you can still subscribe anywhere you listen to because this can be found anywhere. And then what's really important is that you share this content if you are enjoying it with family and friends. Share it on your social media, tag me, let me know what you're thinking about the episode. I love to get your thoughts and hear your feedback. If you want any of the episode show notes that we talk about in this podcast, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 33. So it's Black History Month. If you're listening to this in real time, it's February, it's Black History Month. You know, I never mentioned it before and it's not because I don't know what month it is, but you know, I have this kind of, not love-hate relationship, but this mixed feeling about Black History Month. It's great that we get a month that is dedicated to black people, to especially our contributions to the world and to the society. That's amazing. But really, I don't think it should just be a month. I think it should just be an ongoing practice that we recognize the greatness of in our community. I talk about wealth. I talk about finances a lot. And I know my audience base is diverse, right? But majority of you listening, you're black, you're people of color. And one of the things, one of the feedback that I get the most is not only that I'm relatable, but that finally there's someone who looks like you talking about this, who is talking about financial independence, who is talking about how to reach wealth. And so I feel like it's super important to talk about just the wealth gap in America the reason for the wealth gap, and especially estate planning. So wealth planning for generations and generations, that's super important for our community. And there's been a lack of that. There's been a lack of knowledge around that. And estate planning is not just for people of color. It's for everyone, right? But I do want to highlight that it is something that is lacking in our community. So today's guest is someone who is very passionate about helping people of color understand what this wealth gap is. And again, it applies to anyone, right? So if you are on this financial independence journey, no matter what color you are, it's important that you're smart with estate planning, with how you're passing down generational wealth or creating generational wealth. And so let me just introduce our guest, Art Steele. Art is an estate planning and intellectual property attorney 
who's been practicing law for nearly 10 years. She left corporate America to launch her own law firm in 2014 and recently founded artsteel.co an online resource that provides creatives with simple legal solutions. And she's dedicated and very passionate about helping creatives legalize their business through the information she provides. She also is the host of the Legal Ease for Entrepreneurs podcast, the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering minority entrepreneurs to tackle the legal aspects of their business. And she's really passionate about helping minorities build wealth through estate planning, you know, and I really wanted to have Art on because you'll hear when she talks about why estate planning is so important, why it's important, especially in our community, in the black community, that we focus on this. And it does not matter how much wealth you currently have. It's about building wealth, creating a platform, a method of passing down wealth, true wealth to future generations. And so I can't wait to get into this episode with Art. I really hope you enjoy it. And so without further ado, let's hop into this amazing conversation. Hey, Journeyers. I'm really excited to have this guest on the podcast because she is really, really well-educated, well-versed in this important topic that I wanted to make sure we discuss. And that is the creation of wealth, legacy of wealth building. And her name is Art Steele. Hi, Art. Hey, Jamila. How are you? Good, good. And you have a podcast called the Legal Ease for Entrepreneurs podcast. And on that podcast, you talk a lot about the legal aspects of starting a business. But why I really am not only just drawn to you is because, you know, you're also a working mom and you have a demanding career as an entrepreneur, but you also have your own podcast. But your main thing that you say in your content is about building wealth and building legacy for our children or just to pass down to generations, which I think it's so important to talk more about, especially in our community, especially just in general for people, because it's something that is not spoken about a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think we're in a different era of where we're not working at those jobs that are paying us a retirement that we're going to get a pension from. We're not staying there for 30 years. A lot of us are building our own businesses, right? We want the flexibility. We want to be creative. But that comes with a whole host of issues. Mm -hmm. And one of those is taking that responsibility that maybe our employer would have had for ourselves and carrying the ball over, especially when it comes to the Black community and just changing our mindset So I think I really love how we're all about building wealth and sacrificing now so that generations later can have more so that our kids can be more educated and our kids can have more opportunities in the workplace. But the problem is if we don't pass wealth down, then yes, they can be educated and they can have more opportunity in the workplace, but they're starting from scratch at every generation And we're just going to keep falling behind. And so that's why this message for me is really important to get out, because I want us to not only be like, yeah, let's build this business and build wealth, but let's pass it down and let's find out how to do that. And this topic shouldn't be taboo because obviously it comes at the death of someone you love. It comes at a time when you're grieving. You don't want to sit down and be like, okay, so when you die, mom, how much money am I going? Am I going to be a millionaire? It's weird. Right. But we have to talk about it 
Yeah, no, it's super important. And really, this is not just for entrepreneurs like this show, this episode. It's for anyone. So whether you are working in corporate America or a blue collar job and art is going to get into why it's so important that even if you are just starting out on your financial journey, so maybe you don't have much right now, why it's even more important for you to plan generational wealth, to plan your estate, because it's really important we do that. But before we jump into that, I want to go into a little bit of your background, because I do think it's fascinating about just where you were born, how you came to America, and just the circumstances that led you to become a lawyer. Can you just go through that a bit? Sure. So I was born in Monrovia, Liberia, which is in West Africa. And I actually moved to the U.S. when I was like two years old. And then my biological mom passed away and we moved, my family and I moved back to Liberia. And we stayed there until there was a civil war. And we had to leave the country like everybody else because they literally were killing everybody in the country. It was like a brutal civil war. But we really had to leave because my father was the lawyer for like the ruling party, kind of like the Democrats, you know, like being the counsel for like the Democrats, but it's a small country. Anyway, he was considered to be part of the government. So we really were at risk. So we had to leave. And my parents came to America, like on, I guess, like a visitor's visa or something. I don't remember those specifics, but a corporate law firm, like your big stereotypical corporate law firm, took my parents' case pro bono and applied for political asylum for them and helped us because my parents came to the U.S. to get settled. And then we stayed back in Ghana, which is where we ran to. So this corporate law firm did this for my family, basically. And I didn't know this story until I was in high school and I wanted to be pre-med. But then I was like, that's not going to work after I almost failed AP bio. (laughs) And so I heard this story of how this firm helped us. And I thought, wow, I didn't know lawyers did that. I thought lawyers just argued because my dad was a lawyer. I just thought they argued. But I thought it was really noble that you could change somebody's life that way. So I decided that I wanted to be a lawyer. Now, in between college and deciding to go to law school, I worked at a law firm, but I didn't know what kind of lawyer I wanted to be. But I watched A Few Good Men. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I watched that movie and I was like, that's it. I want to be a JAG lawyer. I was going to go into the military. I can't even imagine because I would have been dishonorably discharged because of my I have like big mouth. But anyway, so we go to school. I walk into law school one day. And I see a professor putting up all these signs like we don't discriminate and all this stuff. And I was like, what is this for? And he was like, oh, the military is coming to recruit at our law school. And they're the only people who are allowed to discriminate openly against our students because every other employer who comes has to sign a non-discrimination agreement. But the military obviously is not. And we don't have a choice because we have to take the federal funds. I was like, what are you talking about? The military discriminates. He was like, yeah, don't ask, don't tell. That's what it is. You can't be openly gay in the military. And I was like, wait, that's not good. I'm like, if somebody wants to give their life for their country, I feel like it's the greatest honor for someone to sacrifice their life for their country. It should not matter what their sexual orientation is. It just seemed crazy to me. So I was like, okay, well, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Then I was like, what am I going to do? And I was like, okay, well, I have pretty good grades. Let me go do the recruiting for a big law firm. And I went 
got a job at this law firm during the summer because what happens is the summer after your first year of law school, that's when you do all the recruiting. And then you start at the firm the summer after your second year. And then at the end of that summer, they give you a job offer so that when you come back your third year, you basically don't need to do anything. You already have a job. That's what happened to me. I got to my third year and I'm like, okay, well, I already got a job. So let me just take these classes because everybody says you need to take them. And it was Will's Trust and Estates and it was tax law. And I remember sitting, going through the material. And I remember an aha moment when I learned what these two things were and how they actually work together. And I remember just sitting there being like, this is how white people do it. This is why they stay rich because they have and use all of these techniques. I mean, this stuff is really complex. They use all of these techniques to save taxes on the millions that they leave, to leave money to the next generation. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to start my own law firm. I'm going to be an estate planning attorney and I'm going to be the best one out. I'm going to go to the black neighborhoods and the black community and tell them about this thing that we're missing out on. And then I was like, but wait, (laughs) I need a job. Mm -hmm. So I went and worked at this law firm. And it was also when the whole economy crashed and law firms were pulling their offers. But luckily, mine didn't. And so I was like, well, you know, I'm not about to go out into the worst economy ever and say that I'm starting my own law firm because I have no idea what I'm doing. So let me go work at this law firm. I worked there. And then after three years, I did tax. I did like corporate tax, mergers and acquisitions, major deals, right? No wills and estate planning anywhere in there. And then I got restless there. And then I left and went to Discovery Communications, where I did more international tax, but I was global tax counsel for all of Discovery. So whenever they wanted to buy any companies domestically or internationally, they had to check with our department to make sure that they didn't trip up any tax laws, which would cost the company so much money. And I talk about this in various places on my podcast and on my website. There's this one encounter with Oprah because Discovery has a joint venture agreement with the OWN network, Oprah Winfrey Network. And she had to come to Discovery Communications to give the board of Discovery, because she's a CEO of a network, the state of her network. And of course, Oprah coming, it was like an Oprah talk show. And she talked and I had this encounter with her and I was just like, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm really supposed to be out here telling people about estate planning, working for small businesses because they need a lawyer that has my skill and they're not going to be able to afford what I charge to a major corporation. So that's when I left and started my own law firm. And it's been downhill since. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, I had no idea what I was doing. What I like about your story is that at the end of the day, you're just really passionate about helping people, especially people of color, figure out how to create this general wealth, how to plan their estates, because the wealth gap in this country, it's real. And it's something that you actually mentioned. It's an article you talk about in your content a bit, the asset value of whiteness, which Mm -hmm. and the tagline is understanding the racial wealth gap. And I just want to know why it's so important for us to talk about this, because I'm in the financial independence community, in the personal finance community. And when I first started on this journey to figure out how I wanted to retire early and reach wealth, there weren't that many people who I could identify with. Mm -hmm. There were tons and tons of great information out there. 
And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to create my own platform where I bring on all types of people really to share their information. But it's coming from my perspective, my story, my voice, which I thought was helpful in the community. But once I started, what I realized was that so many people who discovered FI through maybe my podcast or my platform, they were starting at such a deficit in terms of debt and just basic understanding that I realized quickly that I couldn't just jump in and talk about some more advanced topics that I'd like to talk about. I needed to go back and talk about some foundational stuff. So credit, debt, mindset, which anyone can benefit from. It's not just people just beginning. But the reason why I wanted you on and the reason why I want to talk about this specifically is because there is a wealth gap in this country. There are people here, especially people of color, starting at a deficit. And so can you talk a little bit about that article? And then we'll get into what estate planning is and how you really pass on wealth. Right. So The reason I love this article is because it states what I figured out when I was in law school. It puts it in a way that I can't because it uses statistics that obviously I did not know how to gather. The bottom line of what this article says is that personal behavior cannot close the wealth gap, meaning we can work as hard as we want. We can be as educated as we want. We can earn as much money as we want. We can be in two parent homes. We can have full time jobs. We can save as much money as we want. That will never close the wealth gap. Unless all white people decided to burn their money and stop working forever. And it was such a myth buster because a lot of people use as an excuse The reason why Blacks aren't rich, the reason why Blacks don't get ahead, the reason why Blacks can't close the wealth gap is because they aren't as educated as white people. They don't work full-time jobs. They come from single-parent homes. And what this article did was went through and said, okay, let's not compare all Black people to all white people. Let's break this down and show that when we're looking at similarly situated people, white people still have a huge head start. So one of the things they looked at was that the household income of a white adult who had gone to college versus the household income of a black adult who went to college. The white household had 7.9 times more income or more wealth. They both went to college, but this white household had 7.9 times more income or 7.2, I think. And then they looked at a single parent white home versus a two parent black home. And the single parent white home had 2.2 times more income than the two parent black home. And down the line, whites spend, I think, twice as much on luxury items. They looked at full time workers where there was a white household that had a full time worker and a black household that had a full time worker. And what they concluded, the reason why in all these situations whites are still ahead, it's because they pass wealth down from generation to generation and they had a head start. So when you go back to the 60s and 70s, when Blacks and Latinos or any other immigrants didn't have the access to the same kind of opportunities, the GI Bill, the GI Bill, which gave veterans really low interest rates on buying homes or helped them to come up with down payments, was not available to non-white people, even though they were veterans, to non-white veterans. Banking loans are not generally, back then, were not available. And still, a lot of Black people still can't get loans for homes, and they pay twice as much interest rate as whites. And education, 
student loans. And I actually experienced this firsthand when I graduated from law school. When I graduated from law school, it was public knowledge, so I'm not like bragging or being tacky, but at the law firm that I worked at, when you graduated from law school at that time, you started out at $160,000 a year. So I told you that we get our offer the summer after our second year. So that means we have one full year to go back to law school, meaning we're not working. (laughs) And I remember some of my white counterparts, since they knew they had an offer and they knew they were staying in D.C., they were like, oh, yeah, I'm buying a condo. I'm like, how are you buying a condo when you're still in law school? You're not working. Oh, my dad's going to put the down payment down for the condo. And I'm like, wait, your dad just got (laughs) $50,000? That's insane to me. So my white counterparts, their parents were putting down down payments for their homes. And so what does that mean? Right. So somebody's like, "Eh, what's the big deal? I don't want to own a home. But when you own a home, that person coming out of law school, making one hundred and sixty thousand dollars, they now have a mortgage interest deduction that they can use against their salary so that they pay less taxes, meaning they get more money in their pocket and Okay, yes, it's not free money because they're getting money back that they're paying in interest, but they're getting equity in their property. Mm -hmm. So the government is subsidizing the equity that they have. That's what the mortgage interest is. The government is subsidizing the equity that you grow in your home. And yes, when you sell your home, you may or may not pay taxes on it, depending on whatever the tax state is at that time. Right. So. It's like, okay, here I am, black woman, went to law school, came out and got that great job I was supposed to get, getting the same 160 as my white counterpart. But it took me six months, almost 10 months to save for me to buy my house. So that 10 months I had to wait. And I know that's not too long because some people wait 10, 15 years. But you know how much taxes I paid <laughs> on that hundred and sixty thousand mm-hmm. salary, which, by the way, went to one seventy like the next year. I'm not complaining, but that's when I was like, "Whoa!" Even someone like me, who is making this much money, I'm still way behind. Right from your counterparts. From my counterparts. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, just think about that and how it's amplified the less income you earn, right? Because yeah, okay, I was making 160 and paying $45,000 in taxes instead of 30. But what if you're making $80,000 and you're paying, I mean, at $80,000, you're still in a pretty high bracket to pay enough taxes that where it could really hurt. And then what if you're making 40? So it was just like, wow, Okay. And I used to be the, oh, I'm not going to leave anything to my child. I want him to work for everything. I had to struggle. And I was like, no, Art, you're not doing that anymore. Because <laughs> this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's a good point to make. And, you know, not that I need to pay devil's advocate, <laughs> mm-hmm. but let's just play devil's advocate for someone who does not understand why this conversation is important and why these facts needed to be stated. So someone can say, well, at that point as a lawyer, you're at a different level. And there are a lot of also white people graduating without that type of help and needing to struggle too. What do you say to someone who doesn't understand your point of view with that and comes back with a sentence like that? You know what? It's not all white people are ahead of black people. What about those struggling in tons of debt 
that didn't get help from mom or dad as a start in life. Right. And that's absolutely true. There are plenty of my white counterparts who were like me, like, okay, well, I don't have a parent who's going to give me money for a down payment. And I'm not saying that I think they also should seriously consider estate planning because that's how they're going to get their children and the generations after that to get to that point. So this is a message for everyone, whether you're rich or not, whether you're black or white or Asian or Latino, that estate planning is critical. So there is that white person who is, I'm sure there are, who is like, okay, well, I want to make sure that I can do that for my kids. This is how you would do it. But the other thing that I would say is, even if you don't necessarily have the wealth, you have access to it. And it's just like the teeny little things that add up. And I remember when we were in law school, we had a friend whose mom would pay his cell phone bill. And I know that doesn't seem like a big deal. But when you think about how much that cell phone bill was and any other thing, like she would just take care of all of his little incidentals, as we call them. Mm -hmm. But when you think about the Black person who is using student loans to literally finance their life because they don't even have a mom who can pay that $100 a month. I mean, that's how it is. And so you think about that $100 per month, $1,200 a year, and you're the financial expert, right? $1,200 a year (laughs) in a student loan that you're paying X amount of interest on, right? So it compounds. And it's not just the cell phone. It's every little aspect of your life all along the way. Again, to the person who's like, yeah, white people struggle too. Of course they do. And that's why this message is for them as well. But it's not always, okay, my parent has a $50,000 down payment. It's also the enjoyment of life. We have a friend who always travels, even though she works in public interest and makes $40,000 and she lives in New York City. And we're just like, where are you getting this money from? So it's just those little things. But even though she has a low salary, she's still able to enjoy life. And I think when I listen to your episodes about people who are in FI, that's what it's all about, right? Enjoying life and enjoying life sooner and not waiting until you're 80 years old to do it. Right. And then this is why estate planning is so important, I believe, now is because sometimes you're not considering the future or the real way in which you build wealth. You're just kind of worrying about today mm-hmm. and your happiness today. But it is important to understand, okay, how it is it that all this work that I'm doing, all this money that I'm creating and generating, how will I be able to pass it down to my children or protect it from, you know, the government or my untimely demise, which seems so bleak, but it's true. It's these are the things we need to think about. So I wanted to hop into the reason why you feel estate planning is the single most important factor in building wealth. Why is that? Like I said, the study stated, we can't work enough to overcome this wealth gap. So the only thing we can do is pass it down, right? So I always tell my friends, what would you do with $50,000 right now? How would that have changed your life? Some people can never work long enough or hard enough or make enough money to even come up with a down payment for a house. And a lot of us would be able to afford that house if we could just get into it, right? But it's just coming up with that down payment. So getting into that house gives you access to the mortgage interest deduction, which then 
before the whole taxing change gave you access to a lot of other deductions that you can now take because of your mortgage deduction. So you're paying less taxes and that means more money in your check. So I think that's one thing to remember. And the other thing is passing wealth down is decreasing our dependency on the stuff that just hurts us generation after generation. So for example, student loans, right? We would not need to get as much money in student loans as we do. We would be able to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to take that internship in New York City that's not going to pay me. And I don't need to worry about getting a job because my mom is going to pay my rent while I'm living in New York City and not bringing in any income. And getting that internship is going to help me get the job when I graduate from college. So it's just all of those little things that just make it easier for the next generation. And that's what's going to give us a leg up because trying to work and earn money is never going to work. Well, you're saying it's not enough. Yeah, the gap is just Mm -hmm. too wide. It's too wide. It's been going on for generations. Okay, so then what do you say to the people who are in the financial journey just starting or who haven't reached where they want to reach yet? So they're thinking to themselves, well, what do I have to pass on? Right. What do I have to plan for? What do you say to that? I always look at it as you have to put a value on your life. And when I have these conversations with my clients, it's just horrible because in order for them to fully understand how to plan their estate, I have to give them every possible scenario of how they could die and leave their young children. And so it's just really is a weird conversation to have. But you have to look at the value of your life and the investment that others have put into you, right? So I always say that a lot of us in this 28 to maybe 42 are still first generation, right? We're still first generation lawyers, doctors, engineers, architects, and nurses, and entrepreneurs. I mean, tons of us are first generation entrepreneurs. And just think of all the investment we've put in our education, we've put into our businesses, into ourselves, and the potential that it has to make. So even if you don't have anything right now, and you are just starting your financial journey, And you're like, okay, should I pay this money? Does it make sense for me to pay this $30, $40 a month for life insurance? Because people tell you, if you don't have any dependents, meaning children, you shouldn't get a life insurance policy. It's a waste of money. I always thought that was dumb because I'm like, why do I have to have dependents? I would be okay with leaving $50,000 or $100,000 to my cousin. I would like for him to get $100,000. He doesn't have to be a dependent. He's someone who I just want to have money. (laughs) And so I think that people should stop thinking like, oh, well, I don't have anything. Your life has value. And you should look at if I were to die today, what potential income would my family be losing? Because... I think a lot of people, anyone, white, black, anybody on their financial journey, they want their lives to be easier and the lives of their families to be easier. And they look forward to how much they're going to earn because it could make their families' lives easier. But if your life is cut short, all that potential income, isn't they're not going to get it. That's what life insurance is. It's saying, we know you would have made a million dollars in your lifetime. So if you die here's the million dollars you would have made. So for all the Mm -hmm. people who say, well, I don't have any property to pass down. Young people, single people say this to me all the time. And I'm like, you're wrong. Think of all the people who have invested in you 
and what they're losing the value and potential earning in your entire lifetime that they lose when you die or when it's cut short. So that's why we have to make sure that even if you don't have any property now, you still leave them the potential value of what you could have earned because that's how you will pass wealth down to the next generation. If you have nieces, nephew, cousins who have children, those are people who they're in your family, right? You would want for their life and their children's lives to be easier. Right. And this goes for all professions and Yes, great if you're a doctor or a lawyer or engineer, but really, even if you're a teacher and a blue collar worker and someone who doesn't have a high income, who's just like even medium to low, it's more important for you actually to pass down as much as you can to your future generations, because that money is so much more important than, like you say, like a millionaire passing down millions of dollars, right? It's important to preserve as much as possible. And so I wanted to get into what defines an estate. So we're talking about estate planning, but let's get into what that really actually means for someone listening and saying, okay, you kind of convinced me that I should think about estate planning. What, like, what encompasses having an estate plan? So a lot of people think of estate planning as just a will. And your estate plan is really how to deal with your assets if you die or if you're incapacitated. And your health matters, I guess, right? End of life or near death matters. So your estate plan should really have a power of attorney, which deals with your property or gives someone the authority to deal with your property or your business. I mean, when I say business, I mean your everyday life business in the case where you're incapacitated or you are not available. And then a will is the actual document you present in court to start the process for disposing of your property or your assets. And then a trust is a document that you can attach to the will, but the trust is not what's considered a testamentary document, meaning it's not the document where you express your testamentary intent, your intent to dispose of your property. The will is that document. So the will is what's presented in court and anything that's in your will is public. And so what a lot of people do is they will have a will, but then they'll also have a trust because the trust is not presented to the court and it's not a public document. So you just list all of your formalities in the will. Like my name is Art Steele. I live in Virginia. I'm married to X. I have X children. This is who is going to be the executor of my estate. This is who is going to be the guardian of my children if my husband does not survive me. Or if you're single, just who's going to be the minor of your child, the person who's going to be in charge of the money you're going to leave to your children. You list all that stuff in the will. And then you just say, I leave everything to the trustee of the Art Seal Trust. That's where your will ends. So that's all you produce to the court. And then the trust is the document that will say, okay, I want you to put you know, the house, I want you to sell it and put the proceeds in a bank account and give $10 a month to my child or give it to him when he turns 16. So the trust will actually distribute your property, but it's private. It's not submitted or it's not a public document. And then you should also have what's called an advanced medical directive. That's also called a healthcare power of attorney or sometimes referred to as a living will. They're all the same thing. Advanced medical directive, living will, healthcare power of attorney. This is the document that will dictate how to deal with your end of life decisions. So whether or not you want to be on life support, whether or not you want any of your body parts or organs to be donated to anyone or to a medical facility, 
and you would give that person who becomes your healthcare power of attorney, you give them permission to make those decisions on your behalf. You give them permission to get your medical records. All of those decisions and authorities are in the healthcare power of attorney. So those are generally the four documents that should be in a full estate plan. Mm-hmm. And then you typically would go to one lawyer or estate planner to help you do that. Yes. The estate planning attorney would draft all of those documents. Now, I have my clients fill out an extensive questionnaire when we do our intake because I have them list every possible person they would ever want to leave a gift to. And I have them list all of their assets, their financial advisor, their accountant, their real estate agent, because none of that information goes into the will. But part of proving that somebody is of sound mind when they write their will, because you have to be of sound mind when you write your will, and people can contest your will if they're trying to overturn the will, but that's one of the things they can attack. But one of the things that I like to do is have that person list out all their property so I can say, look, this person knew what they were doing. They knew the extent of their property. So they listed it here. But also a lot of people have bank accounts they open from a really long time ago. Or right now you might be working with your real estate agent and maybe no one in your family knows that you have a real estate agent and who that person is. People may not know who your financial advisor is or your accountant. So I have them put all of that information in one place. Now, I tell my clients when they say, well, you know, what should we do with this money? And I'm like, I can't tell you because I'm not a financial advisor. So I don't give my clients any information on whether or not they should sell their stocks, whether or not it's a good time to sell for stock management purposes, because I'm not qualified to tell them any of that stuff. All I can do is say these are the estate planning or the tax planning implications if you do sell your stock now as opposed to your child or your whoever inheriting it when you die because there are different tax implications. But as far as sell Visa today or wait two days before you sell Apple, Mm -hmm. that's where the financial advisor comes in because the financial advisor should really help them decide on what their financial plan is for the rest of their life. But we work generally together to make sure that whatever estate planning or trust planning that they want to do, there are no issues with what their current financial plan is. And I want to continue to stress that again, you don't have to have hundreds of thousands of dollars yet in investments or in your retirement accounts or assets to start this process or to do this. There is no minimum income requirement, right? No. I mean, it's just you deciding. Do you want your family to have to figure out what to do with your money? I always tell people, especially my single friends, they'll be like, yeah, well, I mean, I'm pretty sure if something happened to me, my parents would get everything and I'm fine with that. And I'm like, that's okay, but just write a will that says that, right? Don't leave it up to dying and then your parents having to figure out which bank account your rent comes out of or your mortgage comes out of. And I always say your parents are going to be grieving their child. Do you also want them to have to figure out when and how to pay your rent and who is your landlord and when they have to clean out your apartment? And the other thing is your parents don't get or whoever inherits, right? Because here's the thing. If you don't leave a will, the state decides who is going to get your stuff. So if you don't leave a will, even if it's your parents and you're okay with that, 
your parents are going to have to go to court to petition the court to get access to all of your income and your records. And guess what? They have to hire a lawyer to do that. And when they hire a lawyer, it's going to be way more expensive to hire a lawyer to draft a petition to ask the court for permission for your parents to be able to take control of your estate because your parents are going to have to get what's called a bond. It's basically like insurance. So they're going to have to insure themselves. And that means they have to go and apply for a bond. It's a separate company, not at the court. The bond company has their own requirements. Sometimes they require the person who's applying to be a resident of that state. What if you live in a different state from your parents? Sometimes it requires a credit check. Sometimes it requires that you can't be a convicted felon. Sometimes it requires that you're a U.S. citizen. A lot of times it requires that you have a lawyer because they know if you have a lawyer, your chances of screwing up are going to be less. So you now have to go and hire a lawyer. It's like you want your parents to be doing all that stuff while they're trying to marry you. So it's for anyone who has anyone in this world who they love or loves them. And I think that's most of us. Right. (laughs) I think that's like 99.9% of people. And when it comes to estate planning, the benefit of it is that, like you said, it's a transition from not having to worry about what happens to your assets after you're gone. And for you, you know, you're a first generation graduate lawyer in your family. For me, I'm first generation in terms of FIRE, so this financial independence community. I am right now really making a lot of headway in creating wealth. And so it's not that I want to give my children and my future generations everything where they don't have to work, but it's nice to give them a starting point so that some of the things that we had to go through or the deficiencies that we had, they don't have to start that far behind. And so why not do that? Why not help or give them that starting point so that they can become better than you were? Right. And again, it's for generations and generations. You could set up in your trust that your kids only use X amount of money in a trust fund. And then when they die, it goes to the next generation. And then when that generation uses it, and actually that's the reason why you want to do estate planning, because if you don't, your children will inherit everything outright. Mm -hmm. So that's actually why you want to create an estate plan. Because if your children inherit everything outright, they may not use it wisely. And there are plenty of instances where if you leave a gift to your child outright, to your minor child, minors cannot inherit legal title to any property. That's cash, a house, a car. And when I say legal title, it's for their benefit, meaning they get the equitable title, like it's fair for them to have it and use it. But they can't control it because they don't have the required capacity under the law to control their own income until they turn 18. So the court is going to say, "Okay, we're going to hold this money for you and we're going to appoint a guardian to manage it for you. But the minute you turn 18, you get all of it because that's what your parent wanted. So what's actually happening right now is children are inheriting money from their parents. Because if you do have a life insurance policy and you put your child's name on there because they're your only beneficiary, your child's going to get it. But that's not planning, right? Planning would be, okay, I want this money to be invested. I want this money to last for generations. And so when people leave money to their 18-year-olds or 20-year-olds and that 20-year-old goes through $100,000 in six months, 
four months, three months, all that money that you had and a hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money. It's wasted. Mm -hmm. So it's not actually that black people aren't leaving money to the next generation. They're just not doing it the right way in a way where it lasts and it grows. And I'm a part of the American Bar Association Real Property Trust and Estate Section. It's like the section of the American Bar Association that deals with estate planning. And we go to these functions all the time. And I met this guy who like a lot of these people, their clients have like hundreds of millions of dollars. So they're doing like really complex tax planning. So I was talking to this guy and I was like, what do you do for someone who has two, three hundred million? What do you do for them? Do you need to do anything? And he was like, no, I don't really need to do anything with those people because it's kind of hard to lose that kind of money. I'm just mainly managing the generation to make sure that basically they're not a-holes and being like, my parents have 200 million in a trust fund for me. But the most important client who walks through my door is the person who has a hundred or 200 or $300,000. Because if I do what I'm supposed to do for them, that money can turn into the hundred or 200 million, obviously many years down the road, but within the next generation or two generations, it can turn into two, three, four million dollars. That's how important a hundred thousand dollars is. That's why I tell people in $50,000 can do something. It's a start. Any amount that you can pass on, I think we're getting to the point where we're trying to get out of the GoFundMe mentality, but that's not the end. That's only the beginning. And you bring up a good point. A lot of people, you know, we have retirement accounts, so we have our 401ks or 403bs and outside Roth IRAs. Now, you can name beneficiaries on that account, right? But at least you are providing for who will get it if you pass on, but it's not necessarily planning for how that money is going to be distributed. Exactly. That's better than nothing. It's better to leave someone's name on your retirement account versus nothing at all. At least if you leave someone, that money is paid directly to them. If you don't put someone's name, it's paid to your estate. And the only way people can get it is if they go to court. Do you see the difference? Yeah. So if you put to my mom, the life insurance policy pays it directly to her. They write a check to your mom. If you say to my estate, but then in your will, you say, I want my mom to have that $100,000 life insurance policy. They'll pay the money to your estate. But now you have to go to court and we have to wait before your mom gets the money. And that makes a big difference, too, because you're going to have to pay a lawyer. It's going to take a long time. So having a beneficiary is better than not having anything, but you want to ask yourself, who is that beneficiary? And if you want to take your mom because you're like, okay, I want this money to take care of my mom in case I pass before my mom because I want for her to be taken care of, right? I want money to provide for her because that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Well, if your mom is at a certain age and you leave her, let's say five, six hundred thousand dollars and you have children. So you're like, okay, I have a million dollar life insurance policy. I'm going to leave $500,000 to my child, the other 500 to my mom. Well, your mom is, let's say 80 years old and she dies three years after you. So now you have that $500,000 in your mom's estate and she may not have a will and she's leaving it to whoever she wants to leave it to. So now your $500,000 or four or 300 is going in another direction where it could have been going to your child. So you could say in a trust, 
I want this money, the interest of it to be paid to my mom while she's alive. And when she dies, I want to put it in the trust that's for my son. So there's so much planning that you can do to just make sure that the money lasts. Mm, right. Because some people think, okay, it's better than nothing. It's better than not being intentional at all. But you need to take it a step further. If you're really serious about building wealth, if you're really serious about creating generational wealth for your kids and other generations beyond you, then you have to start thinking of this stuff. So I'm curious to know, because if there's anybody out there who's having any kind of reservation, I'm curious to know, would people in the FI community be okay with inheriting money? Or would they be like, no, sorry, I don't want to inherit it. I just want to build my own money or build it up myself. No, I think and I mean, I can really only speak to myself and from what I see and when I go into certain communities, when I look and I think at the end of the day, we would all be grateful to get a head start, to be able to work, not even just less, but to have more opportunities. Like the whole goal of reaching financial independence is you have opportunities to spend your time the way you want to. You're not working just for a check. And in, in the reality of it, when you have like a starting point, whether that's because you inherited something or maybe you inherited property and certain things like that would help you. And so I know for a fact, like for me now being first generation of realizing that this is possible, that I want my kids to have that kind of head start. Again, I'm not saying that I want them to be lazy and not work because I believe the reason why I appreciate everything I have now is because of the hard work I did. But I do think that's also part of the story is you have to also educate your children, right? To understand money so that they don't squander it. And now you can't control or really foresee what they'll do, but... You can with a trust though. That's the whole point. Ah, right. (laughs) You see, that's what people... Yeah, that's what people miss. That's the beauty of a trust. You really can control what they do so that that money lasts. And that's what so many people miss is that the point of a trust is basically you controlling money from beyond or from the debt. Right. And you know what I want to bring up, say some reservations could be, well, I have all these plans and I'm intending to do a trust and to estate plan, but I'm not there yet because there's so many moving parts and things that are changing, but you can start this process, right. And also update it as you go along, right. You can go back and update it as much as possible. Right. And if you live in Oklahoma and I don't know why I picked Oklahoma, I know nobody there. If you live in Oklahoma and you're planning on moving to Canada, you know, there was that one couple who just lives all over the place. I can't remember who they were, but oh yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Canadian couple. Christy and Bryce, yeah. Yeah. So if you're like them, you can have your will wherever you are at the time, draft it, sign it, and that will be your will when you die. And if you go to a good lawyer, I mean, yeah, obviously, if you get a divorce, you can't really plan in your current will for that. But you can plan for if you have children in the future. There is a lot of planning that you can do for those changed circumstances. Obviously, if they're major circumstances, then you want to come and update your will. But it's not this thing where you're going to have to be updating all the time. If it's drafted properly, it's a pretty well-written document to accommodate for the changes in your life. And you can go anywhere in the world and not have to worry about updating it. Right. This is great information. And I do want to state at my current job, we have something called the Hyatt Legal Plan. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but we're able to pay in to get legal services. Mm -hmm. It's almost just like this service if we intend to use it, but then it's covered by our monthly payments through our check. And estate planning is one of the services covered from 
multiple lawyers. So we have a list of lawyers who we can mm-hmm. choose from. And so I would encourage anyone who is working in a corporation to look if they have access to something like a Hyatt legal plan where you can opt into it and you can find a lawyer and get these services included and not necessarily pay a lot of money to do it. You're paying it through your pre-tax checks right. or post-tax, however it comes out. So look to see if you have that option because it's an excellent resource if you do. So this is what I would say. If there are people who are listening who don't care that a portion of their money would be spent, the money that they've worked so hard to earn would be spent on legal fees, court fees, and taxes, then it's not worth it to you to go to a lawyer to go get it done if you don't care. If you do care and you have such a plan at your office, take advantage of it. If you don't, I can tell you that the money you will spend on getting a lawyer will be a drop in the bucket, even if they charge you $5,000, depending on all the different things you may want to get done and how complex your situation is and the state you live in, because that matters as well, because some states have a lower threshold for exempting how much you can have in your estate. Depending on your estate, depending on your own family situation, it may be more, but that $5,000 which is the most I can think of if you have your normal situation, it's still a drop in the bucket to what somebody would have to pay in legal fees and court fees and taxes if you don't do this. So I always tell people, don't look at how much it costs. Look at how much it would cost you if you don't do this. Mm. It would cost at least the average probate of an estate. If you have literally zero, if you were living in your car and your car was worth $5,000 or you're living in an apartment and the stuff that you have is worth nothing, then, yeah, your estate is not going to be anything. Nobody will probably even go to court. But you're also not leaving anything, right? You can pass all that stuff through life insurance. You can pass it directly to who you want to pass it to. But I've already discussed the issues with that. But for anybody who has even a home, you could be looking at ten, fifteen thousand dollars in legal fees just to figure out how we're going to pass this property. So whatever you feel like it's going to cost you, it's going to be so much more and so much more of a headache if you don't put things in place. Right. And I just want to thank you, Art, for coming on and talking about this important matter. And as you said, yes, estate planning is for everyone. Everyone can benefit from it. But it's especially important for people of color, people in our community, because the wealth gap, like we talked about with that article, it's real. You know, it's not something that's made up in our heads. It's something that we should all be conscious of, no matter what your race is, we should be conscious of it and understand how it works. Because at the end of the day, it's a real issue. It's a real problem. And I'm just so glad that there are resources out there for people like you who are talking about it more. So that way we can be more educated about it and do something to change it. Right. And if anybody wants to learn more, they can go to my website, artsteel.co slash estate planning. I have a free workbook because <laughs> I know you guys like free. What is it? Free 99 or whatever. Free 99. Yeah. We like free 99. Yeah. So, yeah. A free workbook where a lot of the questions that I ask my clients during the intake, I give tips on whether a will would work for you and some things to consider when you're leaving your retirement accounts or bank accounts or anything to your children. So it's a free workbook. So it's at artsteel.co slash estate planning. And 
Well, by the time this airs, I will also have a webinar that would have slides. I'll go through a lot in a lot more detail. Some of the things I just didn't want to cover here because it would just be too complex. So there's a webinar and a free workbook. Take advantage of it. And I will link all of that in the show notes, everyone, so you guys can get in touch with Art, just learn more information about this. So thank you so much, Art, for coming on and sharing all this great knowledge. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Art, once again, for coming on and sharing all that great information. I really hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And again, anything that we discussed, all the links to the articles or what Art mentioned can be found at journeytolaunch.com slash episode 33. I also want you to think about what you're currently doing. Do you have an estate plan in place? Do you have a will? Do you have a power of attorney? Do you have all the documents that aren't mentioned? And if not, what are you waiting for? And what are the next steps? What can you do to start putting that in place? And remember, it's not about already being a millionaire or having a lot of money to do this. If you have something, if you have a house, if you have an asset, if you have retirement accounts, if you have investment accounts and you want to really create that generational wealth, for future generations to come, it's important that you do this now. So I implore you to take action from this episode. Now, if you want to connect more with me, you can contact me on all social media. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm there as Journey to Launch. You can also join the Facebook community. So journeytolaunch.com slash community or search Journey to Launch in Facebook come on over. Let's connect some more. It's a real just nice place to share more information and learn more about me and I can learn more about you. Now, also another way for you to stay in the know for all things Journey to Launch is to join my newsletter. Every week I send out a newsletter on Wednesday morning letting you know what's going on with me, the podcast, and just any content that I'm creating. So in order to join, go to journeytolaunch.com slash join. And lastly, again, I'm going to ask you this. I ask you this every episode. Please leave a review, rate, review, and subscribe. If you listen to this in Apple Podcast, it really helps getting the message out there. And again, share this with someone you love. Get this information out there. Let's spread it like wildfire. And thanks again for joining me. I'll chat with you next week. <laughs>